Israel, Palestine, and the church. Did you guys know that there is a church in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Baptist Church that was founded or planted in 1925 by Arabs and Jews? Did you also know that in Gaza Strip, in Gaza City specifically, there is the Gaza Baptist Church that has been there for years, preaching and ministering the gospel? Did you know that Palestinians and Israelites, Israelites, Israelis, uh, modern-day Jews who are converted to Christ worship together in the same congregations? And yet, whenever things happen in the Middle East related specifically and especially to the nation of Israel, you never hear about God's churches in the area. Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. This is available anywhere you get your podcast, from Spotify to iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel and do not forget to click the bell for continued notifications. Guys, this is a pretty important point because I think it's just symptomatic of how little we actually think about Christ's churches in this country. You know, in the United States of America, we typically choose our churches like we would choose a pair of pants at JCPenney or like we would shop for cars. Uh, are all of our preferences being met? Is 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 what we is what we think is exactly one hundred percent correct happening at this or that church? Does this work for us? Right? Do we fit in here? Are we made to feel at home here? You know, these are the kinds of questions we ask when we're looking for a church. Totally wrong-headed questions in most cases, um, because it takes for granted that the church is some kind of self-help community or instrument for one's own pleasure and the meeting of one's own preferences, when it it's in fact not. Uh, you know, we live in a very uh, odd period of time where being a Christian and being part of a church is a comfortable experience. But for the majority of world history, being a Christian and being a part of a local church has not been a comfortable experience. Think about churches that are in the Gaza Strip, surrounded by Muslims uh, in a very small uh, strip of land that houses a very influential terrorist organization called Hamas. And if you're a church in that kind of an environment, the Christian life can't be all that comfortable. Most days have to be pretty disconcerting. Yet, they can still have joy in Jesus Christ, and they can still delight in the fact that they can gather together and worship Christ together, even though all their preferences obviously aren't being met, right? But that's how we think in, in America. We have a very little, small view of the church, uh, and I think that results from a very low view of Christ himself. And so, whenever something like this happens in the Middle East, this comes out, this kind of low view of the church comes out whenever you hear a lot about political Israel— but you never hear about anything uh, concerning the churches in Israel or the churches, for that matter, in Gaza or Lebanon or Syria or, or, uh, or Egypt, uh, whoever's involved in the conflict. Uh, in this case, it's, it's mostly uh, Gaza and then the southern portion of Lebanon. So what I would like to do is, is talk a little bit about this. I want to run through an example of where this has happened just this week. Uh, this last Sunday, Greg Laurie of Harvest, he's kind of the uh, uh, the torchbearer uh, descendant from uh, Chuck Smith of the Calvary Chapel movement. He's in California. Christy and I used to 
go to his church all the time and hear him preach. So this is nothing new to us. This is nothing new to me. I'm very familiar with this kind of thing. Every other Sunday, it seems like he's talking about the political nation of Israel that currently exists. And he says this at the end of one of his sermons this last Sunday. He says, what should Christians be doing in light of all this? He's talking about the turmoil, the most recent dust up between Israel and Hamas. Uh, and the uh, and the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. What should Christians be doing in the light of all this? Two things, he says. Jesus said, now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near, Luke 21, 28. Now, let's not talk about the contextual issues there, but uh, I do think that text is being brought out of context. He's obviously talking to uh, people living at that time and... Um, and it's, it's relevant to them in some way. But anyway, aside from that conversation, that's what we need, he says. That's what we need to be doing, looking for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the first thing he says. Um, but then he says, but we also need to pray. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122.6. We want to pray that they arrive at some kind of peace. We want to pray that this horrific terrorism stops and that they're able to get their hostages back. And we want to pray that God places his hand of protection on the nation of Israel during this unprecedented war. Now, to a lot of this, you can say yes and amen. I, I, I'll pray for this as well. But what's the motivation? Is the motivation because Israel is God's people? Um, is that the motivation? Because if that's the case, then I would strongly object. Um, I understand praying for them uh, politically and strategically, uh, they are a strategic location for biblical missions. They are uh, a bastion of, uh, you know, um, religious liberty in the Middle East and, and so on. So I understand praying in that sense. But if the, if the pretense behind praying for Israel is that Israel, as it now exists, is God's chosen people, then I would strongly object. One of the influences of dispensationalism that hasn't been all that positive is that the church is nothing but a parenthesis in the redemptive plan of God. That it's an intervening program that has interrupted really the main show. And the main show is all about Israel. And when Jesus came and Israel rejected him, then the Jews sent, uh, put him to death and argued for his crucifixion before Pontius Pilate. At that point, the kingdom was taken from them and given temporarily to the church. And the church is just this intervening institution and this intervening program that takes place until we're finally taken out of the way through rapture and then the main course resumes, which is God's dealing with Israel. And so as a result of that theology, and I'm not charging every dispensationalist with this, but as a result of that theology, a large sector of American evangelicalism has come to regard the church you know, less and less as time has gone on as we've moved forward from the advent of dispensationalism in the 19th century. And so in, in American evangelicalism, we, we, we don't think a whole lot about the church. We don't see the church as central to God's plan. The church is kind of like this optional thing for Christian life, and it's this parenthetical intervening period in God's program of redemption, which is going to pick up with the political nation of Israel at some point. And so for this reason, there's a very low view of the church uh, and a low view of, of, of Jesus' plan within the church, I, I, I'm afraid to, to say. 
uh, again, I'm not charging any one dispensationalist with this. It just seems like that's been the influence over the years on evangelicalism. And so whenever something like this happens in Israel or around Israel, the question of Bible prophecy in relation to the political nation state of Israel is brought up. But the actual uh, people of God in the church of God is is brushed over. It's forgotten about. It's not even it's not even considered. Uh, in this uh, Greg Laurie sermon, for example, and and I don't, I don't want to tear him down or, or 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 act like I'm picking on him, but just one of the observations that I made in this sermon is that there's no talk about the church. There's no talk about the Jerusalem Baptist Church and how we should pray for those Arabic and 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 Israeli Christians. Uh, which is an SB, it's a Southern Baptist church as well. There's a, there's a Baptist association of 17 Baptist churches, and there's probably more than that in Israel. And then you have the Gaza Baptist church and an Episcopal church and some other kinds of churches in the Gaza Strip that is never talked about. And it's never talked about that there's actually a missionary society that reaches out to people in Gaza and attempts to convert Muslims in Gaza through the proclamation of the gospel. Nothing is said about that. And oftentimes you have large evangelical churches in the United States of America who will cut large checks that have been given through tithes and offerings and special gifts to the state of Israel. We'll send checks and money over to the state of Israel in support of Israel and, and humanitarian aid to Israeli soldiers and all of that. And I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be any humanitarian aid to the political state of Israel, but is that the church's business? And I would say it's not. That The church's business is to support the church's in Israel and to support missions to Israel and around Israel and the surrounding areas, even to Gaza. We want to see Palestinians converted to Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. But you never hear anything about that when things like this happen. Things like this are instead used as a sensationalistic talking point to gain attention concerning biblical prophecy. Everyone wants to see biblical prophecy unfold before their very eyes. They want to see the, the, the signs and wonders of the Old Testament uh, unfold before their very eyes. They want to see these things. And so it's exciting. It plays, on the, uh, uh, it plays on human nature. It's just human nature to want to see these wondrous things play out before our very eyes in the providence of God and in fulfillment of prophecy. But is that really what we should concern ourselves with? Or is there something bigger and deeper at stake here? Namely, Christ's bride, whom he is sanctifying through his word, whom he is going to purify and present before himself at long last, according to Ephesians 5. You know, Ephesians 2, a very important text. Uh, there are three things that happen, um, and three things, really three main things that are talked about from verses 11 to 22. And that breaks up into basically three paragraphs. And in the first paragraph, you have Jew and Gentile reconciled. Gentiles are brought near to Jews. In the second paragraph, verses 14 through 18, you have Jews and Gentiles made into one single body, reconciled into one single body, which we know from Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 that that body is the church. That's the language. And then in verses 19 through 22, you have Jew and Gentile brought into one house. Again, household language refers to the church in the New Testament. And the temple language of verses 19 through 22 uh, also refers to the church in the New Testament. Um, and so wh what I would like to say regarding texts like this is you don't get a better current example or reflection of this 
redemptive reality than in places like Israel, where you have like the Jerusalem Baptist Church that has Arabics and Christians worshiping the same, or Arabics and Jews, who are all Christians, worshiping the same Christ together in a single congregation. That the middle wall of, of separation that is, is spoken about in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2 has indeed been broken down by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Christ. That that's been eliminated, removed out of the way. That the old law that separated Jew and Gentile has been removed and that the sin that separated Jew and Gentile from God has been removed. And they've been brought near to one another as a result. Reconciled in the same body, reconciled in the same household, which is the church united to one another and united to God through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you see pictures of this in churches that are in other places in the world, uh, but especially in Israel, because in Israel you have the, the explicit New Testament language playing out, where you have Jew and Gentile worshiping in the same congregation. Um, it, it's such an amazing thing to consider the unfolding of God's redemptive plan and how great and wondrous it is that there's a church, there are churches in Gaza and Israel alike with Christians in them worshiping the same Lord that we worship here. Woman, I tell you, Jesus says that there will be a time where you will worship God neither on this mountain or any other. But the time is coming when true worshipers, the ones whom God is looking for, will worship God in spirit and in truth. And indeed that happens today because we worship all over the world, right? And so when we think about Israel or the Gaza Strip or Libya or, or Lebanon, sorry, uh, or Syria or Egypt, that whole area over there, think about the churches. Think about the churches where this redemptive language in places like Ephesians 2 and elsewhere in Scripture is being fulfilled day in and day out. You see it day in and day out. It's there. It's depicted there. It's a wonderful picture. The true miracle is not in bombs going off in or outside of Israel. Uh, the true fulfillment of prophecy is not, you know, the uh, the hornets with the heads of men, which are supposed to be Apache helicopters. Uh, the true fulfillment of prophecy and the true miracle is the fact that there are churches in these places with both Arabs and Jews or Palestinians and Jews who are all Christians worshiping together at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ week in and week out on the Christian Sabbath, the first day of the week. It's amazing. Jerusalem Baptist Church actually has a website. You can get on there and look at it. Um, it looks a little different than something you might expect here in the United States, but you, you see they've got, similar to the States, they've got their service times on their Sunday. They've got women's ministry, you know, women's groups and uh, men's Bible studies, you know, similar to what we would have here in the States. They have a picture of their congregation online where uh, you, you get to see their faces. Um, and um, Gaza Baptist Church, not as many pictures. You do get some pictures on the outside. You can look them up online as well. Uh, it's a little bit more low-key. Again, it's a, it's a lot more of a kind of religiously volatile area uh, than in Jerusalem. But, but it's there. There are Christians there. And so, you know, you hear this language, you know, even coming from American evangelicals, like, oh, Israel should turn Gaza into a parking lot. Like, should we be saying that as Christians? Like, I, I, I fully defend Israel's right to go after Hamas, after the offenders that, you know, breached their territory and killed civilians mercilessly in cold blood. So go after that. I, def I defend any nation's right to do that. But should we be saying turn Gaza into a parking lot? where there are Palestinian Christians worshiping Christ week in and week out. Um, 
should we be opting and praying for and hoping for uh you know splash damage to to hit our brothers and sisters in christ that are in, in that part of the country in that part of the world uh, i don't think so i don't think so i don't think that's a christian attitude to have at all um we have to understand that god's people are of a very different nature they're not a they're not a, a nationalistic political uh structure they're not uh, something you know you can't point to god's people on a map and say there's where god's people live because we're all over the world and so you have to realize that because this new nation the new jerusalem uh god's church is a spiritual institution you have to realize that there are christians all over the place um there are christians in lebanon and in israel and in Syria and in Egypt and in Gaza. They're Palestinian Christians. Not every Palestinian is a Muslim. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you, you think about that, and that should help us to reorient our view of what's going on and what our priorities should be when things like this happen. What should be the churches? We need to pray for God's people. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that find themselves tied up in things like this, Right? So that's the people of God, and they find themselves in difficult situations, and they need prayers, and so on. Um, but that actually, that exhortation and that admonishment, you know, kind of flows through through the rest of what we think about Christ's church. You know, how do you think about your own church? Um, and maybe if it's the case that we're not even thinking about churches in other parts of the world whenever, you know, things like this happen, maybe it's the case that we don't have very high thoughts of our own church either. Um, the local church is so important to Jesus Christ. It's so important to Jesus Christ. Um, you know, he, he, he plants those churches in his lordship uh, and his providence, and, and, and he sanctifies those churches, and he has a plan for each and every local church. Um, he uses those churches to sanctify his people and to bring them to the end. And so it's very important. Those, each, each local church is an instantiation of the bride of Christ on this earth. Um, and so it's, it's very important that, uh, that we consider the local church, that we consider Christ's church in this world, uh, especially our own churches, um, and that we pray for other churches when we, when we see that they have I encounter difficult situations like many of the churches in Israel and Gaza perhaps will face in the in the coming days, coming weeks, coming months. So hopefully this was helpful. Maybe it was just helpful in terms of, you know, kind of reorienting our our perception and our priorities. Um, you know, Christ and his church. That's what it's about. Christ and his church. He is cleansing and sanctifying a people of his own. And that is his church, where Jew and Gentile are reconciled together in one body and in one household. Let's pray for that. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.